Thanks for tuning in to Q Conversations. My name is Mark Champagne and I unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. So today we're rocking series two of the podcast, which means we'll be publishing five new episodes over the course of the next week. And to kick things off, I'm chatting with Johnny. He's best known for bringing meditation to the mainstream through his organization, One Giant Mind, and its Learn to Meditate app. One Giant Mind has literally taught hundreds of thousands of people worldwide how to meditate for free. So this was, this was a really great conversation and fascinating chat around meditation and all the different layers to our mind. So before we jump in, two quick things. If you're enjoying the show, please hook us up with some love and those beautiful stars in your podcast app or any type of comment in the review section. And lastly, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Keo, our daily reflection app. All of these awesome guests end up in the app to help guide you through your reflection. So take it for a spin. It's in the Apple App Store. All you have to do is search KYO. Thanks, as always, for giving us your attention today and have the best day yet. Enjoy the chat. Who are you? What defines you? Um, (laughs) Who am I? Well, if I was to answer that question as accurately, that relates to how I see myself, which is, well, what the question is. (laughs) I see myself more as as a what than a who. I I don't necessarily define myself by um, relative attributes. Uh, I see myself more as a... Uh, a state of awareness that's dynamic in the present moment and responsive to the moment and the older I get the less capable I am of defining myself absolutely in any relative terms Um, what I can say is that I'm a a dynamic state of awareness that loves to interact enthusiastically with as many things as possible (laughs) so I mean you know and I think that what also defines me you know I think it it says a lot about me you know in one moment I'm a a meditation teacher um, giving you know subtle instruction in the mechanics of the nature of the mind and then I can walk out the door and be a confidant to a dear friend and then get to a friend's place with a three-year-old daughter and then be the world's best pony. That's awesome. <laughs> and then, um, then go and see my next client who, you know, is negotiating a billion-dollar merger and asking me to sit at the table to advise on the negotiation. So, you know, who I am and what I do is um, less about uh, the, the outcomes but more about the, the process of how I do it. Of course. And... How I do it is really, you know, being as present as I can be and being attentive and aware of what the greatest need sure. uh, is and how I can respond to that need in any given moment. Gotcha. And I always find myself in situations where um, people are, are requesting something very specific of me. And because... I define myself as the what that is always keeping my attention very keenly on, on what's been asked of me. I find that I'm able to, to respond effectively to that 
to that request. And as a result, I, my, my relationships and my connection with people is very um, rich and full and fulfilling and um, nurturing. Sure. It's going to take it goes both ways. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So have you all, like, was there a trigger that was switched at one point in your life? Or have you always been like that? Yeah. I, I, I was, okay. uh, there were, there was a time in my sort of, um, you know, when I was younger, my adolescence, uh, my teenage years where I was at odds with, um, the world. I wouldn't say I was at odds with myself, but I was definitely at odds with the world and defiant of its insistence on me not being like that. Okay. You know, it's the, the, the cultural insistence on me defining myself in sort of superficial relative terms. You know, you belong to this group or you belong to that ideology. You dress like this. You do these activities. Yeah. You know, you're involved yeah. in these social groups and therefore you're that kind of person. And that never felt comfortable and was actually a source of anxiety for me, um, particularly in my early teens. I, uh, I grew up um, uh, in a very multicultural in, uh, part of Australia, in, in Sydney. And uh, I, I was actually christened in the Church of England. And none of my family were religious at all. It was just this kind of odd family tradition. <laughs> sure, why not? Let's just take the baby to the church and dunk him, dunk his head in the thing. But we don't go to church or anything. We're not yeah. religious. And uh, we lived across the road from a Catholic school when I was a child. And it was convenient for, for us to just walk across the road. And somehow or another, uh, my parents convinced the school to um, allow these Protestant children to go to the Catholic school. And, you know, we were always subtly ostracized. You know, yeah. when we go to church every week, you know, it was a compulsory thing. We weren't allowed to come up and do the First Holy Communion. We weren't allowed sure. to take communion. We weren't allowed to do confession. And I'm like, hey, but what about us? And, you know, we didn't understand the concept, you yeah. know, like it was just exclusion for us. Sure. We didn't really understand why we were being excluded. And we were told that we weren't ever able to be included. It was like, I'm sorry, but the, the membership for this club is closed for you. You can come to the school, but you can't participate. And, um, and so, you know, the, there was always this kind of feeling of being sort of not belonging. And it was the thing that I wanted the most. And um, I think by the time I got into high school, I went to a, an all-boys um, Christian, you know, brothers, Morris Brothers school, very multicultural and, you know, in primary school, all, the, the, all the, the kids from all the different cultures, they all intermingled. Everyone was best friends. I think I had like 25 different races of okay. friends, cult, you know, cultural yeah. backgrounds. And um, it was never an issue. Okay. And then when you get to high school, by the time the students got to year eight, they all started hanging out in their, their, their cultural groups because they were trying to emulate the older kids yeah. that were starting to become more influenced by their parents' prejudice. Sure. You saw the pre parents' prejudice start to drizzle down and influence the way in which these kids were modeling sure. their worldviews. And um, I had friends in every single group, and I just refused to conform to this, you know, I had to belong to one group or another. Sure. And... So I, I bounced from one group to the next 
in you know little lunch and then big lunch and and whatever and eventually my australian white caucasian sort of um cohort um started to ostracize me for it you know they they were they 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 were terribly insecure about the fact that i wasn't identifying purely with being the the aussie yeah and um and you know got into a lot of fights over it and whatever and eventually had to make the decision to to not associate myself with them at all because you know the the level of ignorance and you know it was like where's this coming from hey we were best friends in in year six yeah and now we're in year seven and you're you're adopting all of these you know and those guys that you're you're calling terrible names they were your best friends in year six you know like what's going on and it was them just conforming to the 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 cultural and social standards that were very much ingrained within the school yeah um and all of this was very disturbing to me and it made me angry Sure. And, you know, but then I go to religious class and we'd, we'd hear the teachings of Jesus Christ and, and I would stand up and I'd go, yeah, but, you know, that's not what's going on here. And i call the teachers out because they didn't seem to be doing anything about it. If anything, they were perpetuating it. Yeah. The teachers were quite violent in the way that they um, punished students and, and almost took pleasure in it. And it was, it was just really kind of... And so I, I became a bit of an angry kid. <laughs> And then eventually was asked to leave, <laughs> um, which was a, a blessing. Sure. Um, so that kind of that that set the the stage for me in so much as my my journey of self inquiry, um, questioning hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, tr- you know, in my pursuit for reconciling my my desire to belong to the world, mm-hmm. and to just innocently be with the people that I loved and liked, and and not have to deal with like these imposed social constructs that sure. really had nothing to do with anything and yet people were so invested in them and I'm like but where's it from and why and yeah. what's the problem here and uh, I, it, none of it made sense to me and and as a result you know uh, I attracted all kinds of individuals that wanted to punch my head in and and you know me being me you know, attempted to take them on despite the fact that they were three times the size of me and, sure. you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so it was, it was a very colourful, <laughs> steep learning curve for me uh, through my teens. And then by the time I got to sort of 18, uh, I, I started to, to really understand uh, that there was something different about me and um, I needed answers to that. And that then led me to uh, India where okay, yeah. I... Um, I started, you know, very deliberately probing into the nature of reality and the nature of self and the nature of mind sure. and, um, you know, trying to trying to ob- obtain a more historical, a big picture perspective on the pursuit for, you know, this, this experience of wholeness. Mm-hmm. Um, and wanted because I you know modern religion had no answers for me and I yeah. po- I poked and prodded and probed deeply into into these into these areas and avenues and there were just so many brick walls and so many you know slippery walls that you could never climb up it's like I'm sorry but that uh, there's got to be a way around this bit because this is a real problem yeah. um, and anyway I, I get to India and everything starts to make sense there sure <laughs> 
And which is interesting because you, you wrote most of the book in India, right? You returned your, your latest book. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've spent, I've spent a, a, a huge amount of time in India yeah. um, studying and just being there and, sure. and understanding the, the culture where this, this magnificent knowledge, this ancient knowledge that I've immersed yeah. myself in over the last sort of 25 years. Um, and it was logical for me to, to go back there and um, call that home for a good period of time while I wrote my first book. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Wow. So, well, thanks for sharing that. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot there that I definitely want to chat about. Just one being, just an ob- it seems like an observation these days, and maybe it's being a new dad myself with a you know, one-and-a-half-year-old. Congratulations, I, by the oh, way. Thank I'm, you. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, going to be a new dad in June. Oh, congrats. That's yeah, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, this won't come to a shock to you, just especially given what you just described, but what I'm really noticing is you know, seeing this little guy, so pure, no judgment, mm. right? And <laughs> it just reminds me of, of what you just described. It's, it's, it's almost as if if we can hang on to some of that you know, innocence and, and like I said, no judgment, being open, just wanting to explore, mm. even in class, right? If you think when you're in school, the older you get, you know, the, the least amount of hands keep going up to answer questions. It's like we just keep getting shut down more and more and more as you go through life. But it seems like in, in your case, there was a lot of self-awareness mm. quite early on where a lot of people don't get to that phase until now or mm. you know they go into a corporate job or any type of job they hit some sort of wall and then all of a sudden then the questions are kind of brought out and things are re-examined and whatnot so I'm wondering um and even through our work we're, we're trying to prevent some of these things right mm. like what are some things people can do um you know with their kids I guess to 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 help prevent that right yeah because it's almost it's almost natural that's going to happen, unfortunately, at this rate as we speak now. I mean, yeah. hopefully it's changing, but... Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I was uh, sitting on a panel uh, last week, I think it was, and I was asked a question by one of the members in the audience, um, what I thought about teaching children how to meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was loaded, you know, basically saying that, you know, that, that they were a huge advocate for it. And I'm not not a huge advocate for it um however i think that um you know what's more important than the children learning to meditate are the parents and the teachers that are influencing the children because our children ultimately model off us yeah they look to us for our perspective and they're building their worldview based on their interaction with us and so the responsibility is primarily on us as adults um, that are interacting with these beautiful, pure souls yeah. um, to ensure that the lights stay on. Sure. And all we need to do is keep our lights on. Yeah. When our lights are off, the kids are looking going, what's different about you that's a bit dull and boring and didactic and controlling that makes me feel anxious and nervous and pulls me out of the present moment and makes me kind of worry that you're going to steal my joy, (laughs) (laughs) which is, you know, like basically the the experience that they're having when when kids look at adults a lot of the time. They're kind of weird, grown-up, strange, scary things. Um, And 
it's our responsibility as adults to, if we're asking this question, if you are asking this question and it's something that you really want to understand, then just know this, that it's entirely up to you as an adult to connect with that part of yourself that the child is experiencing right now. With that, you know, it's it's commonly referred to as the inner child. Mm-hmm. I, I call it the human spirit. We say it's the inner child because our best recollection of it was when we were a child. Sure. <laughs> but it's not exclusively a child phenomenon. Yeah. It's it's a human phenomenon. It's just that that aspect of our humanity gets shut down when we get uh, indoctrinated into a paradigm of fear, fear of the future. Of course. And the, the burden of responsibility, where we recognize that responsibility is a burden rather than a tool of empowerment. Yeah. And so uh, to answer your question, you know, as directly as possible, the most powerful thing that we can do for children is to become fully integrated adult humans. And that means learning how to be more innocent in our awareness in the present moment to relinquish our preconceptions of the moment, the future, the, the incessant need to know the future, to uh, relinquish our judgments and preconceptions of each other when we're interacting and to not take for granted the, your attention that you're giving me right now. Sure. You know, to actually be sincerely grateful for the opportunity to interact yeah. right now and to have this experience that actually gives rise to our highest level of fulfillment, human interaction, human connection. It's only when we're connecting with each other do we feel whole and complete. We're looking at each other in a mirror and validating the the beauty of our and the richness of our human experience. When we're by, by ourselves, we can have beautiful moments, but actually it all comes to life and to light, the meaning of our existence, when we're in an experience of unity, of sharing and connecting and discovering, Mm -hmm. validating, elevating, growing, what we get is this calm sense of, I belong here. I belong to this moment. I belong to you. You belong to me. And all of this is missing (laughs) in a lot of interactions that are happening day to day. Everyone's running on these... Um, programs that uh, doesn't that don't require present moment awareness. It's the autopilot of life. Yes, exactly. It's the yeah. default mode, and, and we go through life just banging into each other like dodging cars, and you know haphazardly, you know, move into different states of growth and change. Um, you know, and. It's not satisfying, it's not rewarding, it's not fulfilling. And when we're not satisfied and, re- you know, feeling fulfilled, you know, we're, we're experiencing something other than that, you know, a, a sort of a, an annoyed, agitated, deflated, heavy state. Yeah. And that prints out in our personality. And that's what our kids are, are modelling. Yeah. And if we want to change it, just get into now and uh, learn to experience what it means to take responsibility for now, our humanity in in this moment. And it doesn't mean having to be in any perfected state whatsoever, but just bring that childlike 
curiosity into the moment to discover how you can be more of yourself here and now and not be governed by some socially imposed ideology of how you think you're supposed to be, mm-hmm. what you're supposed to be achieving, where you're supposed to where you're supposed to be by now. You know, just yeah. accept yourself as you are right now and find meaning in that. Yeah. Love that. Mm. I wasn't expecting that that <laughs> response, but that was uh, well. That's good. It was beautiful. Oh, great! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think. I mean, it all comes down, at least for me, going on this path as well. Um, just keeps coming back over and over to the importance of. And I don't want this to sound selfish, but of yourself. I mean, your mental and physical health. Like you it has to be has to be number one it's, it's it's like the airplane analogy right mm-hmm. put on your oxygen mask first mm-hmm. um, because without without your health mental or physical whatever that uh, definition is for you then everyone kind of suffers right yeah. or you can't you coming back to you know children well then you can't emulate what, what you just described essentially exactly so yeah love that let's let's talk about connecting um here we are in this beautiful city of New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, the busy streets, the awesome energy, the lights, the cars, the taxis. Mm-hmm. The, um, it's it's wonderful. I, I love I love landing here and spending time here. Um, and, and one of the things that we're trying to do with our work is is to show people that you know you don't have to always go to the top of a majestic mountain and, and see a sunset to find you know a peaceful mindful moment, let's say, or a moment to yourself. That it can happen anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. It's good design. It's light. It's people. It's interaction. Like you're saying, like when you walk the streets of New York, what do you see and feel? I see a lot of beauty. I mean, I, I personally think that uh, New York City is is a, is a beautiful city. Um, it brings out uh, a very raw quality in everybody that's here. A great way, great way to put it. Yeah, I think that most people get pretty, pretty uh, ridden by the city. Yeah, I think the city rides them more than them riding the sure. city. Uh, the energy here is, you know, verging on overbearing, yeah. and you really need to have your wits about you to maintain a really steady, stable state of well-being, and you know, which is you know, being present in the moment. And regularly auditing your levels of energy mm-hmm. and vitality and making sure that, you know, you're resting enough, you're eating well enough, not getting seduced by all the opportunities to go out to this, that and the other. And, yeah. and just taking quality time out to really, you know, nurture yourself. Um, most people don't do that. <laughs> sure. But there is a massive revolution happening in the city. You know, New York is traditionally known as... Um, you know the sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's like the height of art and music and and culture. And sadly, a lot of that is um, is dissolving. Um, it's like everyone's sobering up. Yeah. They realise the unsustainability of that lifestyle. Um, most of those people from the '60s, '70s, and '80s, they're all getting older. Um, it's a lot more expensive for those kind of fringe artistic type people to live in the city and so they move out to the outskirts sure the city's become more gentrified more professional um so there's some really interesting things happening here that have caused a massive cultural shift and you know wellness uh is a is a massive massive part of the city now there's a yoga center on nearly every corner of the city there's a gym there's an organic juice 
store. Sure. Um, most of the grocery stores, the local grocery stores are all organic now. Yeah. Um, most of the restaurants serve, you know, at least a, a good portion of their menus of vegan. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very progressive city when it comes to the whole, you know, wellness movement. And I think that's largely to do with the fact that it's kind of, it's it's rapidly sobered up and it's had to come to terms with its ill health and it's um, the unsustain- just the unsustainability of the rock and roll lifestyle. And in order to succeed here, you can't afford to wake up at 1 or 2 p.m. and expect to, you know, kick ass and be able to afford the rent in your in your. Of course. <laughs> in your apartment, yeah. right? So if, if you come here, it's game on. And, you know, you've got to have your wits about you and, and, and really be in it to win it. Sure. Um, so I, I, I think that, you know, from a, a general experience of New York City, there is a, a new openness. And, I mean, you know, there has been some very significant things that have happened in the city in the last, uh, you know, within the last two decades. Mm-hmm. You know, 9-11 being probably the not probably being the most significant that has caused the city to really uh, go deep inside Mm. themselves, do a lot of soul searching. And there is a great depth in the level of community uh, and in the level of human interaction. You know, on the surface level, New York feels quite gruff and, you know, you can get somebody bump you and, mm-hmm. you know, a, a cab driver to be really short. But if you actually called him out or her out and looked them in the eyes and said, hey, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, like, yeah, sure. And I find that I can, I can spark up conversations with basically anybody that I want to whenever I want to. And I do regularly. Sure. Um, people are open. You know, uh, people want to connect it's just that, you know, they're, they're a bit tired and stressed to be just living in New York City, so their exterior is a bit, a bit gruff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but overall, as a city, I, I, I find it beautiful. And the people beautiful, uh, open, willing to change, willing to grow, willing to learn, um, a very low uh, nonsense, to- like a very low mm-hmm. tolerance of nonsense and bullshit. Um, they, can, they call bullshit out pretty quickly which is great. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of authenticity here, like realness and they just want to get to the kind of to the to the core of things. Sure. Which makes me being here um, really uh, enjoyable because that's the that's the core of my work is like let's get to the heart of what's going on here. Yeah. And if you make sense in that way, uh, you really get embraced. And sure. so I find myself and and my colleagues other teachers in this field um, really being embraced because, you know, we're able to quite effectively um, provide, a, a, you know, a response to a great need that's happening sure. here. Well, let's talk about that because I, I definitely want to get into your work. Um, and obviously wellness and the fact that, you know, you mentioned there's almost a trend going on, right, that seems to be sexy to be talking about mindfulness and wellness and whatnot. I mean, this isn't new. That, that This is what always blows my mind, but it just seems mainstream media is starting to pick it up right mm-hmm. it's just you're seeing more and more which in in a way is 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 great i'm glad people are benefiting from this it's one of those kind of hidden superpowers like where why isn't everyone doing you know some sort of reflective practice mm-hmm. but in in your world like what in terms of the language like how do you connect with some of these high profile 
corporate types, let's say, you know, male, females running at a, at a high level, let's say, you know, what, what, what I'm getting at is, is how do you make the gap in the language that people just see it as, oh, you're talking about the meditating monk on the top of a, a mountain, mm. right? You, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, to be honest with you, for the most part, in most progressive parts, liberal progressive parts of the world, I think those days are pretty much done. Okay. Meditation has really gone mainstream, and I spend less and less time these days trying to convince people of the validity of it. They're like, look, I don't need to be convinced. Just show me how. Sure. Um, and um, so I find myself less and less uh, having to explain things like that. Okay. I, what I am noticing, though, is the level of conversation becoming more sophisticated and people actually asking, you know, what's the difference between mindfulness and meditation? Interesting. Um, is there a difference? Uh, what's the difference between this style of meditation and this style of meditation? Sure. And how does that relate to the mind? Are there levels to the mind? Yeah. You know, are there different functions and qualities of the mind? What's this technique doing to enliven this quality? And, and this is where I'm really excited about things going because yeah. currently there is a very rudimentary understanding about meditation and the mind. Yeah. Um, relative to our historical understanding, you know, there's sure. there's over 5,000 years of catalogued um, texts and, and insights about the nature of the mind that can seem very sort of um, complex and convoluted and, and whatever when looking at it from face value, um, but actually are extremely important. Yeah. Um, in understanding and in fact a good part of my work is going through a process of taking a more ancient understanding of the nature of the mind and applying it to a more pragmatic model of understanding for the for the modern mind yeah. um, without being sort of too complex or or without coming across as being a contrarian um, to mainstream understandings of the mind but the reality is that you know much of what's spoken about in the mainstream media about mindfulness and meditation, it, it's it's riddled with misconception. Mm -hmm. um, the space is still quite confused, as adamant as scientists are about, you know, meditation and and the benefits and all of this kind of stuff. And um, you know, I think over the next five years. Uh, we're going to see a really wonderful evolution and progression of our understanding of what meditation is, sure. what the mind is, and how the, the varying practices correlate with the different levels of the mind. Yeah. Um, one of the big projects that I'm working on at the moment is a meditation teacher training academy, which um, delineates the, uh, the, the various practices or the categories of techniques um, and then uh, places it next to a model of the mind and provides us with a very uh, easy to understand system of how different meditation techniques correlate with the different levels of the mind and how the mind is an emergent system, meaning it has a baseline and out of that baseline comes a function and then out of that function comes another function and out of that function comes another function. Such a need for that. And, and then when you understand the, the emergent 
nature of the layered nature of the mind, then you go, oh, okay, so you practice that te technique first. And then that leads to being able to practice that te technique more proficiently and then that technique more proficiently. And that's why I practice that te technique then instead of that technique. Oh, it makes sense. And what this model does is it provides us with a holistic model of the mind so that we understand what it means to be integrated. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very exciting endeavor that we're embarking on uh, with, with this uh, One I, Giant Mind teacher training. Academy. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for it. It's, yeah. I have to say, I mean, I'm, ex I'm thankful for the meditation space because, you know, as you're speaking about it, that you don't have to explain it as much now, thankfully, because people are grasping the general concept, even though there's a ton of opportunity. Like for us with journaling, there's still like... I often use the word reflective writing mm -hmm. or um, long-form writing. As soon as you say journaling, there's, again, it's all these precon preconceived perceptions, right, of, oh, that's the 12-year-old girl mm -hmm. writing in her diary, which there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But, you know, we're, we're talking about more than that in, in other situations, right? So I think that space is probably three years behind, let's say, where, where maybe meditation is, is right now. And it's, but it's coming along because it's all part of the... Part of the part of the journey, right? I mean, meditation, yoga, journaling, all of this stuff. It's all exactly you know, one beautiful kind of package, essentially. Yeah. So, in our model of the nature of the mind, um, you know, the, the the act of journaling is very much a part of the meditative process. Sure. It it falls within a category of meditation techniques okay. where we are where we're connecting. So, well, I'll I'll, I'll explain it to you sure. very very simply right now. Uh, there are five levels of the mind or layers of the mind that emerge out of our baseline experience, which is awareness. At the baseline of our human experience is a state of being. That's why we call ourselves human beings. In being, the, the one thing that is universal and absolute is the awareness that we exist. So that's our baseline. I am. I exist. Sure. And out of that existence is a function of being aware and so we refer to that function of awareness as the capacity to know or to observe through the process of observation so the first layer of the mind is observing witnessing and out of the witnessing state what we witness is that we have an, in an inherent natural intuitive response to the present moment and the function of the mind that we utilize to process that intelligence is our intuitive perception. So the second layer of the mind is intuitive perception that emerges out of witnessing. Mm -hmm. And then from our intuitive perception, the, the abstract impulses that we perceive at that deeper le level of our awareness begins to structure itself in our thinking mind. So the next layer of the mind is thinking. And through the process of thinking, we organize our thoughts and are able to prioritize what is relevant and what is not. We sequence things. And so we choose then in that moment on the level of our thinking what to give our attention to and what not to. And when we give our attention, we call that focusing. Okay. So the, the fourth layer of the mind is focusing. The prioritization, the direct, deliberate directed attention to deliver our intention the content of our intuitive perception is, de is delivered through our focus. And so 
from our, our position of focus, the fifth layer of the mind is the uh, function of connection, where we actually lend our attention deliberately and allow the content of our internal reality, which is utilizing in alignment all the functions of the mind, mm-hmm. to move in the direction of that which I behold in my attention. I'm holding you in my attention, so you're now receiving. I'm using that function of my mind that connects to offer and receive. And that's happening as a two-way street simultaneously. I'm aware simultaneously that you are open and receiving what I'm saying sure. by everything that you're, you're, you're presenting to me while simultaneously delivering the content to you. Yeah. And that's as a result of my capacity to observe this moment, to be connected to that intuitive intelligence and perceive that, to then structure it into my mind through a process of thinking, and then to give the, uh, uh, priority to some of that content and you, and then connect. Yeah. So this is how the mind, the mind works. And so okay. there, are, there are different techniques that enhance and enliven those particular qualities. Yeah. And so journaling is a practice that primarily, because uh, as, as, no, one, no one quality of the mind or layer of the mind is exercised in isolation. Sure. It's just that some are primary and then some become secondary, tertiary, and so on. And so uh, when you're journaling, the quality of the mind that you're nurturing and strengthening is that connecting cap- capability. You're turning your attention inward and you're reflecting on your feelings, your ideas, your thoughts, and then you're putting it down on paper. Mm-hmm. And so connecting is first. It's almost like you're reverse engineering the mind. Sure. You're, you're using some external mode to then reverse engineer the, the sequence of the mind, and it brings you back into a state of innocent beingness. When you've written a really powerful journal entry, yeah. you just go, ah, oh, yes, that's what I think. That's what I feel. That's what I know. I am. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different way of getting back to the self. Yeah. And so every human action, you know, could be, falls under some category of, of meditation. Love this. In, I can't in, wait. in that model. And this is how we, we're, we're really excited about expressing and communicating the process of meditation so that we understand it to be a practice that enlivens every aspect of our humanity. We, it's not exclusive. It's all inclusive, everything. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Why don't we transition a little bit into the book that you've been working on? Because I know Mm -hmm. that's been obviously probably soaking up quite a few hours and a lot of mental thinking process. And and, uh, (laughs) that would be an understatement. (laughs) So, if you had to give a one-liner for the book, what would that what would that be? A manual for your humanity. You've yeah, about that's this the tagline okay. for the book. I know, yeah. no, <laughs> it's a pretty bold statement. I know, uh, but that's you know, it delivers on its promise. It's, okay. uh, it's, it took me a year full time. I spent a lot of time, as I said, in India writing it. Sure. Um, but it culminates the the twenty five years of study in this beautiful ancient body of knowledge known as the Vedic okay. uh, worldview, the Vedas, um, which is just a, a a very elegant system of viewing reality. Okay. That is all inclusive. There is a, a perspective of reconciliation with absolutely everything. Everything sure. is eminently reconcilable. And what that means is that everything has a place within 
the universe. Yeah. There is a reason for it. And it's just a matter of understanding it. Our fear and anxiety emerges when we don't understand the reason for something. Sure. When we think something is wrong. And so when something's wrong, we panic. When we can't see the reason for something, our immediate response is fear. Yeah. And so... What this does, this worldview, is it takes the fear out of everything because it has a very elegant explanation of why things are the way they are. Sure. And that pertains directly to our human experience. And there is a place within us, within our awareness, that we can each tap directly that enables us to have the experience of knowing everything is okay because that is the nature of the self, that is the nature of the universe. Mm -hmm. It's only our mistake of our intellect, the mistake of our intellect uh, that um, causes us to, to fear reality. Yeah. Um, when, we, when we have an understanding of the nature of things, we realize actually there's nothing to fear and we have incredible power to uh, overcome any challenge. Sure. That we, and we, that power is generated as an internally referenced phenomenon. It's a force that is within us. And so the book is about that okay um and you know many would say oh well i've written a book about that as well and it's true none of this knowledge is new what's new about it is the way that i've sequenced it and contextualized it to a a modern modern condition with a, a very very sort of now commentary sure on what on what's happening in the world right now and the relevance of this ancient knowledge in, the, in these modern times. Well, it's so key. I mean, I think everything we've talked about, I mean, none of it's new, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're repurposing it, essentially, mm -hmm. right? But I can totally relate to what you're saying, because we, we work a lot with, with questions, right, and prompts. And one of the big um, things that come up is that people are, you know, there's a barrier to get started in, in, in our practice of journaling. It's a lot of times people are scared of the answers of these questions, right? And if you think about it, simple, simple questions like, am I happy, could be a pretty <laughs> loaded process or a loaded, um, if, you, if you choose to make it so, right? And yeah. I think is where you're getting at with, with the book. So when, when can people expect that? Uh, it's going to be launched in October 2018. Okay. It's a, it's a very big process, getting a book out. I hear, I hear <laughs> you that. You spend a year writing it, and then the publisher goes, oh, it's going to be a year until we release it. <laughs> sure. Uh, but that's fine. You know, it's giving us a lot of time to talk about it in platforms like this. And, Absolutely. You know, generate a bit of a buzz around it. That's and exciting. it's called The Golden Sequence. The Golden Sequence. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll make sure to, to get those links when they're out to, to our community as well. Great. Thank that's you. awesome. So I have to get your prompts. Um, that's the big um, plus in terms of this podcast as well as our app to have the three, let's say, top questions that run through your life either on a daily basis or during big life-changing events. For you have many questions, I'd imagine, but yep. if you could, you know, the ones that come top of mind that you think would be beneficial for people listening um, that they could jot down. Yeah, so the, the one question that governs my entire reality is how can I be of service in this moment? Mm. Um, that one question keeps me aligned with what brings me the greatest amount of fulfillment. The second question I ask myself regularly is, is this priority? Sure. Meaning, is this the greatest use of my time in this moment? And I think the third question is, 
is this the most fun way to go about doing this? I love that. Is there, is there a more fun way of doing this? Because we can get so um, outcome orientated that we forget the process and, yeah. you know, we get into box ticking mode yeah. and forget that, you know, life is a process. It's the journey. Yeah. And, and life is the process itself. And we have such a profound capacity to have fun as human beings. Mm-hmm. And we flourish. Our spirit just flourishes when, when we're having fun. And fun is a choice. And I think it's our responsibility to, to get very intimately acquainted with what we define as fun and just make sure that the process is always fun. Because when it's fun, we are awesome. Love it. Yeah. Mm. Love it. So that you might have answered this question, but my last question or second last is if you woke up today and you, you could only make one decision, what would it be? Um, probably to go to the toilet, <laughs> 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 to, to, to listen to my bowels and not ignore them. Sure. Because they could get messy. Uh, no, that's not what you meant. I know no. that's not what you meant. What, so if I had to make one choice of, to do something today? Yeah. If you, could, if you could only make one choice, that was it. You had one, you were allowed one decision today. Well, given that I wake up next to my partner, it would be to, to be with her. Lovely. Yeah, just to be with her and play and have fun, sure. you know, just in bed. Sure. <laughs> Talking nonsense. Yeah. You know, play. Sure. <laughs> Love it. Playing with her bump that's growing in her belly. Yeah, it's a, such an exciting time. Such yeah. an ex- it's just, it's a fascinating experience. Oh, isn't it mind-blowing? It really is. When you go and get the scans and you see the yeah. little guy in yeah. there and yeah. you're like, oh my yeah. Lord, it's, it's growing like inside it's, her belly. It's, it's crazy. It just takes, you know, the, the, the magnificence of our existence to a whole another level. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm going to end then with um, some gratitude. Uh, you know, as we sit here today, the two of us having a great conversation. Um, what are you most grateful for? My health. Sure. Yeah. Yes. My my physical health and well, just general feeling of well-being. Yeah, because there are a lot of people out there that you know are really struggling uh, with their health and. You know, it's something that most people take take for granted. Yeah. But uh, as somebody who works with people that aren't well, um, I just am so grateful that I wake up every day and my body feels good and I've got energy and I, you know, I don't have some condition that sure. stops me from getting out there and doing what I feel like I'm here to do in this world. So I, yeah, my health is a really important thing. I mean, I'm starting yeah. to sound like I'm. Over, I'm older than yeah, 40, you, aren't I? You, you've crossed the, crossed the mountain or something. That's it. Starting to shout like an old man. Just happy I'm alive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, A, I'd like to thank you for your time. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for coming to New York to talk with me. Of course. And B, just acknowledge you um, for you know going right back to where we started, that childhood experience. I mean, that could have went many of different ways, right? And instead, there are obviously decisions made on your part and some, you know, self-reflection and awareness uh, components mixed into there that so many people around the world are benefiting because of. So thank you for... No, thank you for acknowledging for, that. For that journey. Hmm. Till the next time. Till the next time. All right. Then. <laughs>